0: We don't need to go backwards in time to recreate those institutions because they were awful harmful to women. We have to go beyond surface level conversations. I think we have to create these moments where we can have true friendships that go beyond the surface level. That's how
1: we get out of this. Hi, and welcome to Dad Annual. My name is Mike Trank, and as you can figure, I'm a dad. I feel that's how a lot of other podcasts start, and those dads will tell you what their day is like. They'll probably talk about what it's like being a dad today too. But along with being a dad by day, I'm also a mental health counselor by night in my own private practice. As a clinician in private practice, and one of those dads sitting in pickup and drop-off lines for school, I wanted to share what I see in this ever-changing world. So together, let's create the best version of being a millennial dad. Tonight I have a special guest, his name is Shannon Carpenter, he's an author, a humorist, freelance copywriter, a podcaster himself, content creator, you know, he says he creates engaging content that pulls the reader forward, which I will agree with because I wanted to talk to him about a couple articles I had found online that he had uh, worked with and interviewed and had some great antidotes and great things about it and these articles that uh, I think really hit home, especially for Dad O'Neill. So I wanted to, to welcome you, Shannon, to Dad and Neil Podcast. How are you doing tonight?
0: I'm doing fantastic, thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here, glad to be talking about dad stuff. So, excited.
1: Now, how old are your kids, you don't mind me asking?
0: No, absolutely not. So I have three kids. I've been a stay-at-home dad for 15 years. So mm-hmm. three kids, a uh, 17-year-old who just got accepted to college, so that's happening. I have a 16-year-old that is going to get his license probably next week. And a 10-year-old who, let's just say, keeps me honest. <laughs> so I have three kids. Um, my wife, she works in advertising, and mm-hmm. she does that. And I, I stay home and write and take care of the kids. It's my job. That's awesome.
1: How long have you been writing?
0: i have you been doing, like, writing
1: about dad stuff? You know, <laughs> the funny thing is
0: I've always written since I was a kid, right? Um, it was always fun for me to do. Before I became a stay-at-home dad, I worked as an investigator for Adult Protective Services. So I was, a, I was investigating elder abuse uh, against the aged and disabled. And then I became a stay-at-home dad because it was the right choice to make for my family. But even during that time, I just wrote. I wrote about my life. You know, the I guess one of the original dad bloggers from way back then. You know, like 15 years ago. And yeah. so when my youngest was about to go to kindergarten. I took a step back and my wife said it. My wife was the one who pushed this. She goes, when are you going to stop messing around and write for real? Like write professionally. Um, She swore more when she said that. But she had that belief in my writing. Right? And it was a good chance to take a uh, a swing at the fences. Right? To take a swing at your dream. Always wanted to be a writer. Always wanted to be a novelist. Always wanted to do those things. So that's what I did. And that was about six years ago. And things just kind of blew up got an agent the book the ultimate state home dad came out It's been published everywhere from cnn and the atlantic to everywhere else so yeah it's really good i, I think it's interesting to see the the voices of fatherhood come out and i'm glad to be part of that
1: yeah no that's i am uh envious in a way because that is kind of where i think of the podcasting and what i do for my own side writing of blogging things like that to to be where you are so that's that's awesome to hear and that's that's great of the support from your spouse yeah. that was so supportive to kind of probably give you the nudge you maybe needed to kind of all right she's yep. she's on board we're, we're, we're going for it that's awesome and not only was
0: she on board she was pushing it you know yeah. she was like you need you need to do this for you um yeah. and you know when you have that kind of support i think as a father it's just it, it's it's hard to describe how important that is
1: no, yeah, no, I can definitely feel it. I definitely understand that. Even the podcast thing, too, of my wife just yeah. kind of supporting it. Like for, for me personally, the whole thing of my kids are younger. They're only six and four. I have two boys. But going through mm-hmm. COVID, I think they were just that kind of boom almost of myself included. Yeah. Wait a minute. I have something to say here. It's not just me as a dad, but I'm also a licensed counselor. And I work primarily with dads. I used to work a lot with families and kids. Mm-hmm. But having two kids, I kind of stepped away a little bit from, from those sessions, but uh, that really kind of made me want to share what I see and anecdotes that I use and things like that. So that is that is awesome. I'm great to hear. Absolutely. So I assume with three kids in those age range at Halloween mm-hmm. must have been a range from a 17-year-old probably not doing anything or going to a party to a 10-year-old probably, you know, you yourself and even enjoying maybe one of the last <laughs> times <but> that I <laughs> might go out trick-or-treating if at all. You know, actually I had a thought this this year with this. So my family loves Halloween
0: and we always have. And so yeah, my 17 year old went out with teenagers, um, with her friends and they were safe and good and everything was great. And my 16 year old did something like that. My 10 year old, I went with just him and me. He said, he didn't want to go with anybody, just want to go with me. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. And then I'm going around talking to other parents, things like that, realizing that my days of going trick-or-treating are, are numbered. You know, I've gone every year for like 15 years or something like that. I really mm-hmm. like going with the kids when, I, when we're out there. I think it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was out with my son. I was like, oh, this might be the last time. I might get another year, maybe two out of him, but I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, I enjoyed yep. this one, I think, a little bit more in the past because I think it was more present that this is not going to last for much longer. Yep.
1: No, I say it because even my six-year-old is kind of knowing of if- – I got a couple of years left, probably with him. You know, he's still in, like he's full into it now. Yeah. It's full Mario this year, but I kind of know yeah. of the progression of where it's going to go. So, really trying to, yeah, be in the moment, be present, and, and enjoy that time with him right it now. Is. I'm
0: actually, I'm doing something with the older kids. Even uh, my daughter and I have started watching scary movies since she was like 14. And Hmm. so the month of October, we build up to this night. Um, And then when she gets home, eventually we watch a scary movie together, you know, and my youngest is starting to do that with us. So I'm trying to replace an old tradition with a new tradition to Hmm. still have that maintain of that relationship and that time with them. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying. We'll let you know.
1: (laughs) No, that's, that is a a great way of looking at it. It's a great thing to do. Uh, I always kind of see it as in, in kind of the psychology professional sense here of, as you kind of grow from the parenting role, you know, slowly kind of easing into like that friendship role as you get older, like you still always be the parent, but it's not as parenting as the 10 year old, right? As you get older and so you kind of yeah, start building, building those up. things. That's like, as you remember as an older adult, no, not just not a kid. Now yeah. it's 17 year old of, oh, we, you know, and that's something you can carry on through you know, twenties, thirties and beyond. So that's, Absolutely, that's special yeah <laughs> So, Shannon, I just did my "Let It Out Now," and uh, I think you know. It's kind of curious if you had any uh, "Let It Out Nows" or anything Halloween-related, or it could be anything related. If you had anything uh, you wanted to bring up this evening before we get into the articles, sure. Actually, you know, I'm writing an article now for the Atlantic,
0: and you'll see in a couple weeks or whatever. But it's this idea is the world ready to see men as my, as primary caregivers, right? And it's, it's something, it was such a simple question that I asked at the beginning of this and it turned out to be way more complicated than that. It was a lot deeper than that. Um, the more I looked into it, my own experience over the last 15 years of being the primary caregiver and what has changed. And it just kind of grew and grew into this article. Um, and so right now that's kind of the shout that I'm, I'm doing right. I'm trying to find the yes or no answer. It's not a yes or no question, you know, even though I want it to be, um, it's complex and that complexity makes me angry at times and makes me happy at times. Um, but it's a difficult question to answer. So yeah, that's, that's my shout today. That's
1: why I've been shouting
0: literally for three weeks, trying to figure this question out.
1: (laughs) So I'm curious now as the, uh, dad side and the therapist side there because i have had my thoughts on that personally and professionally but i'm curious Mm -hmm. like what what are you finding out well you know i think
0: that it's not written about As, as a dad as the primary caregiver there's virtually no writing about it all that much the only thing you can really find is talks about paternity leave right and the difference between usa and finland and denmark and sweden and germany and all these other places but what bothers me about that talk is it, it doesn't go far enough. You know, we're fathers right. long after paternity leave, whether it's 10 days or a year, which is what they get in like Denmark, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is with men as primary caregivers, you know, you start at the talk of paternity leave, but that's not where you end. But no. any writing or any discussion after that is pretty non-existent. Um, so I'm either on the edge of it or I'm yeah. wrong. So I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs>
1: I would say, for what it's worth, <laughs> which isn't uh, isn't worth much, I guess, right now. But uh, <laughs> sitting in my office alone at eight o'clock, but I think that this is something I actually have talked about in a few of my podcast episodes, and actually, it's yeah. kind of one of the things that sparked my wanting to create this dadennial thing that hopefully, right, will create its own book and lectures yes. as I did it, home dad kind of things like that of like you know, that there isn't anything really on that, that we're, like, like, we're creating a new template, that it is. We really are. Yeah, and it's, it's so multifaceted in that it isn't just the word or the term of like, you know, you're, you're the main caregiver. You're you're not just like dad, you're dad that does mom stuff and does everyone's stuff. And it does everything, and, yeah. it's, and when it first was hitting me was when I had my first kid of past that paternity time of like, all right, now it's six months, seven months. Eight months yeah. in, and I'm going to a coffee shop, and I still get, oh, that's so nice. You took a day off and get to spend time with your yeah. kid. And like, oh, no, it's just this is just Tuesday. What are you talking about? We're going to the library next. This and is we what I do? Yeah, we got a full schedule here. It's, it's just ten minutes for coffee, then we're off to the. Uh, I know. <laughs> read, read time, and then you know we got we got uh, applesauce at twelve o'clock. We got clean up at one. We got full day yep. ahead, and I think for even some of the episodes um, that we've talked about. Um, just the if someone uses this, this just pops in my mind I'm trying to remember the context of it of you know how it all kind of draws in, but like Tupperware parties. And how that's multi-generational. Yeah. Like we go back to our grandmothers going to Tupperware parties, how they had that support, how that was like uh-huh. just a thing of like you're a mom and that's you know, they knew then of like that loneliness yeah. epidemic was a thing. And that's, you know, one of the things that made Tupperware parties and like, oh, we're gonna go to Suzanne's house. And yeah. You know, sell Tupperware, but, you know, have a few drinks and hang out and just catch up and just, you know, <laughs> take a deep breath. I think that's where it gives me a more multifaceted of, like, there is no male Tupperware party. And I think, yeah. you know, maybe it goes to one of the articles we can start getting into, but the loneliness epidemic of, I know I struggle with the fact of, all right, I have friends, but, you know, none of them are stay-at-home dads. So me trying to share my experience is like, you can go talk to my wife. She does that. I don't, I'm out doing sales. So it gets harder and harder as the years go on. I was like, you know, I, it took me a while to even get to the point where, you know, that thing at a party, wherever you go and see, meet someone new was like, oh, what do you do? And for me to mm-hmm. say stay at home dad was just that tripped me up every time. I had to kind of do my own yeah. cognitive behavioral therapy of like, wait a minute, what am I that's what I do full time, <laughs> and like somehow I had like yeah. make it sound neat for me where I'm like okay with it. Where I'm like, well, my dad by day and a therapist by night. Like that, that's like some yeah. like, Batmany kind of like sounds cool, but it's really I not, know like you're just, you're putting a qualifier on it. That's what you're doing. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah, and it just makes me, you know, makes it makes more sense to not just myself, but if like even been using today at an appointment. I'm like, oh, what do you do? Like I'm here for a foot appointment, but it's like, what do you do? Well, I'm just, you know, drop my kids off. So I have the two and a half hours. So I have to do the next thing kind of thing. But like, but I'm also a therapist tonight. So, like, oh, that's where you get the end yeah. of like. So it's always that difficult. Yeah. It is, you know, with, with the
0: male loneliness epidemic, when I wrote about that for CNN, that came about because I was seeing these things, people talking about it. And it was. Um, people who were making fun of, of what men were going through, like the, the pain. Right. And I don't like that. I don't, I think that's punching down to me. I don't think we need to take pleasure and pride in someone else's hurt. Um, that's not what I want to teach my kids and that's not who I want to be in life. And so that's where that actually came from. Cause as a, you know, I wrote the book, the ultimate at Home dad, to give guys a community, to give guys a, 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 a roadmap on how to make friends how to how to succeed as a stay-at-home dad or as a primary caregiver without some of the difficulties that i had to go through 15 years ago because when you're talking about putting a qualifier on what we do for a living i I've, I've done that i think every stay-at-home dad has come through that difficulty of owning what we do right truly owning it and that's some of the first advice i give to any stay-at-home dad is don't make excuses just own it right mm-hmm. but it's hard to say Um, and harder to do. And when you have people around you, when you have a community around you that supports you, it becomes way easier. And so when I was writing about the male loneliness epidemic, it kind of stemmed from some some of that. It's not just stay-at-home dads who are lonely. It is all men. Like We are having a problem right now of finding these real uh, connections with each other, things that maybe we've had in the past that we don't have anymore and so that's kind of where that article came from, you know, that's why
1: I wrote that, what I yeah. did. Yeah. And I think just kind of touch on the article here where, you know, even, even says of like, that, you know, maybe deep relationships is not masculine. That's further isolating yourselves. Yeah. I mean, 48% of men reported feeling satisfied with friendships, which I see. Yeah. I see an epidemic of that uh, professionally mm-hmm. and just of, and I think that's, this is where it gets really multifaceted and kind of, yeah. doesn't get, get you in trouble but just gets of like that like huh like you never really think about it and this is just my perspective of that we we normalized kind of go back to that tupperware party thing we normalize that for women but for guys it's like and mm. and the therapist side is just a, of like so we have kids so like if i get to go away right of like well guys don't go away you're dead never went away. You everyone know, like yeah, dads never went away like you know like no have a we like have a guys weekend but then it's like that thing of well, are you just going to go get drunk? or are you just going to go? It's like, no, no, I don't want to do that. I just want to take a break. You know, like, yep, I have those friends. Take break. You want to be with, with friends. friends. Right. And some of, you know, some one, of the friends that have trouble and kind of fit those older stereotypes, this is, you know, it starts to get that yeah. more multifaceted. Like, no, no, I'm just there for a break. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll hang out with them. But like, yeah, I can't keep up. Like, I'm not that stereotype. Like, I just, yeah. I'm here more for an, another reason, right? And it's like helping my wife, too, because even she would say initially, it was like, well, my dad never went away. Like that's just like still weird, it's still different. Of like, you know. So it's like if you know, you get time, like you go away on girls' weekends, and that's fine. I to take care of the kids, and it's it's just this new world, new kind of place that we're in of breaking through. Of and uh, how I kind of call it is like the next step of me too. Right? We've kind of gone through like have yeah. this platform now. Of, like here's here's what's bad, and we've gotten rid of these people that are, you know, this is what the old kind of guard looked like. And as we kind of step forth of like, here's what the new guard looks like it's that acceptance understanding of like, yeah, this is what we want, you know, not just saying it like what we want men to be mm-hmm. to how we want, you know, the next generation of kids to men to be. It's now kind of going along with that too. Like they're just kind of like being a part of it. Right. Cause I feel like there, there is that isolation then of guys mm-hmm. trying to figure it out on their own, where if anything, we should have more of that support, more of that cohesion of, Hey, you know, moms and women have been doing this for, generations and knowing that you know how to find ways to not fight loneliness and create friendships and support and have those things that, that we need that guys have lacked for a long time for, for so many generations in the modern society. So I think it's it's really just trying to figure out what is that next step and that, that template that even mm-hmm. I think it was, you know, go back to like initially how this all started, one of the things I put in dead ending was how did this start? Well I gave you one example. The other big example was after paternity, after my wife went back to work full-time. And I was definitely, you know, aware of the symptoms of like, I, I know I need support. I know I'm not doing well, I'm, I'm catching myself and making depressive kind of mistakes. And she was part of a mom's club in town. And she's like, well, I'll just ask them like when their next playtime is, when they're gonna meet at the next playground. Message them and gets back of, and she was I remember my wife's face. I can just always picture it of, I can't believe it. They're like, they don't, it's got women only, no guys. Like you're just going to the yeah. playground and they've met you and they know you're there. But like, you know, like if anyone understands and, you know, is, you know, a great guy, like they know you, Like, but we're won't to get to the playground and and that was, that was where we're all done when she's like, my wife was, you know, in the sense of, well, I guess you have to create it yourself. I guess yeah, I do. you do. Like, I have to figure out some way to, to <laughs> figure out some way to, to, to begin this. And yeah, to, to the next point too, like something I'd love to create is like something that is like, I know that. You know the stay-at-home dad network has their weekend but creating even something more of you know things to do weekend right of like having mm-hmm. it as support as as these conventions do but also having it as like new hobbies new things to do you know other, yes added to it
0: well that that's the thing with men and so as we talk about this i think dr so i interviewed dr richard reeves for for that article for that Mel article and he wrote a book called The boys and men and uh He's uh, the CEO of uh, the Boys and Men Association, He's, and a former, I think, fellow at the Brookings Institute, right? So, dude, that's given a lot of thought to this, and he, he brings up some very good points to kind of hit for me. Hit for me. So, we talk about our, our fathers and maybe how they connected. So, those institutions that our fathers had access to have been eroded for good, not for good or for good or bad, you know. And we don't need to go backwards in time to recreate those institutions because they were awful right. harmful to women. And that's important to remember, right? Yeah. And, I, and I've and I talked to him about this because we don't need to demonize one of the genders vice versa to help the other. Both truths can be true about we both have issues and problems. So we don't want to go backwards, which means we have to reinvent, like you said, the institutions that maybe help us now. And that's the difficult part. Now, this is not a, a problem for women to fix because you can certainly be lonely in a marriage or lonely with a girlfriend. Um, This is a problem that men need to take the lead on, take some responsibility for. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what I I think we all want to do. Right. So Mm -hmm. the question is, how do we do that? Right. And you're creating the deadlineal lineal stuff here. There's other organizations that are creating their organizations to get that day-to-day kind of support. Um, And it's, it's usually built around doing something. That's how men bond a lot um, that you can break down those walls. I interviewed, the, the head of Movember one time a while ago. Movember is a uh, leading advocate for men's mental health, right? Mm-hmm. And they have a big, uh, men's mental health is, is the month of November. And what he said struck with me is we have to go beyond surface level conversations. That's what he said. Yep. And when I put that together with what I've read with Dr. Richard Ree- or Dr. Reeves and some other people, I think they're all right. I think we have to create these moments where we can have true friendships that go beyond the surface level. That's how we get out of this. That's how we add the friendship to other men. And that's why I, I hope I'm helping there. We'll see.
1: I see that that's, that's the nail on the head. And I see it as, you know, to, to create that, I guess the hardest obstacle for that to happen in the psychology world is the learned behavior piece kind of what you're touching on there of like this is how we've done this is what we know and speaking for myself personally of right it took me till probably my late 20s 30s of fully Mm -hmm. understanding of like breaking down that of like what's different like how do I be a partner how do I be you know the best husband I can be how do I be the best dad that's kind of going through Mm -hmm. these next phases of life and as we see the the world around us changing so rapidly and yeah the, the norms kind of Becoming more progressive, becoming more of all right, this is you know, what society is now, right? Not going backwards or continuing to go forward of more women yes. in the workforce or more and have high paying jobs. It's healthcare is a big issue too. So, if you know,
0: yes, well, I think, you look, yeah, you look at it, and men are slow to change. That's another one of the issues here. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are slow to change and create these new institutions. And right. even when you're talking about healthcare, we talked about, um, Uh, Dr. Reeves suggests he has a program called HEAL. That's what he's advocating for. Men are in health, education, literacy, all those things. Those places where men could be caregivers um, and actually help the world and help ourselves, right? And that is another way that we can redefine who we are as men. I think the biggest mistake we make is how we define masculinity. We allow other people to define that for us, and that's a huge mistake, I think because no one gets to comment nor tell me what my masculinity means to me it's very personal i decide what it be, means to be a man and for me that means staying home with my kids and you know going to see the world's biggest ball of twine i know what i'm doing over here, you know so i'm having a good time yeah. but i think allowing other people to define who we are is a mistake and i think men
1: need to get out of that because that is what we do so yep. yeah no i concur with that of it goes back to that learned behavior of <clears throat> breaking that cycle. That's the hardest thing. That's yes, the thing I see so constantly of it's how tough. Do we get to it's me? breaking
0: that cycle of what it means to be a man. That's really what it is. And you, know, you said it. It's the learned behavior.
1: Yeah, no, so that, that's that's, what, that's
0: a hard thing to change. though, right?
1: that's what I see a majority of. Right, because the first step in all that, and the you know, as I'm writing my dead annual book, as it's slowly becoming chapters, mm-hmm. the first page the first thing is just awareness like that's it that's the first yes. step that's the first of anything is when you're not aware you're just going through life of like well this is normal to me this is what i grew up with this is what i know and this is how i should behave around my kids such you know in society until you catch yourself You're like wait a minute i want to say something yep. something not right something happens and then you come talk to me or talk to someone but i think you were saying too if, if what i was going to say was the education literacy people in my profession there was i didn't this is my yeah. second kind of career of i was initially you know wanted to go in tv and radio and that was not very lucrative we could not find many jobs and worked in insurance for a while and i was like i, I can't do something else and i ended up going in psychology in my yeah. 30s and going back for my master's and being where i am now in my 40s but i didn't realize at the time that right where our education system is so geared of you know men kind of going in these one tracks where there's so little it little is teaching so little men and therapy i mean i working with kids because when i first started doing you know my master's program i was working in local schools i didn't think i'd do that but it was the director it was like there's no men you just they will like no. these kids will look up to you and you just play uno and have a good time like all right i'm in i'm playing uno for 45 minutes let's do this and that's well, where it's more than that with. you know I mean? yeah 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 so Dr. Reese points
0: awesome. out in his book too. that there, So there's only about 11% of men that are elementary school teachers. Yep. 24% of men are just teachers in, in, in general. And this has been a growing trend that men have been getting away from teaching, for example. And that's hurting our sons, that's hurting our boys. Because what it does is it shows a lack of role models for them to look up to. Um, And a lot of boys respond better to uh, men. a lot of boys need more men in their lives maybe they don't have a dad at home for a myriad of reasons, right? Um, And so there's there's studies about this. Dr. Reeves, he's got the better stats on that. But we need like a national program to get men into those caregiving activities and roles to help ourselves and help our sons. You know, it's, it's imperative, it really is. And there's yep. there's our federal funding to increase jobs through gender is, is already being done. Um, there's billions being spent on women in STEM as there should be, right? That flip side of the coin, they've been pushed and kept out from uh, societal expectations as well. It's not right, it's not good for them. So the, f- the idea of funding to get men into teaching, the, the groundwork is there. Right. right, we can spend more and get better results, and get better uh, role models for not only our sons, but for other men, and I think in the community to see men in caregiving roles. I think that's important.
1: Yeah, I was just gonna kind of and of saying of by working with those kids, if I was able to, you were, you were right. Of so many young young men, young boys would when they would saw me as their therapist, were just so excited. I get to see their eyes yeah. light up like, oh, I finally get to talk to a guy. And and it would just sometimes yes. just be it's obviously more, but you sometimes it'd be asking questions They're just asking about guys the teenage stuff that they're maybe embarrassed to talk to their mom about that they just want to talk to a guy about. And or a female therapist? Absolutely, there is yeah, a definitive,
0: proven benefit to having like male therapists.
1: Yep. Um, so yeah, you're right. Yeah. No, I, I I will always look back fondly on those many years of. Uh, working because it, it, it helped kind of speed up breaking that cycle, right? Like I could teach them yes. and, and they were more aware and they're more wanting to change at 14 and 15. So they're already going in at 18, 20, you know, way yeah. ahead of like where I was. And that, that, yeah. that was, that made me feel great. Now and yeah. to the other spectrum of working with men, our age and older of they're coming to that awareness stage and they're kind yes. of trying to unravel all the learned behavior for 30, 40, 50 years plus, and seeing yeah. that, of and seeing a, a, seeing your eyes light up in a different sense of oh, I get to talk to a male. Like, all right, here's some things that, and I've had this conversation one of my podcast with in, in, a, in a cultural episode of a friend of mine that was like, I wanted you know a, a Spanish therapist. I wanted someone that kind of spoke, kind of knew my world, kind of knew what I was about. And being a male with even an extra plus, you know, it's like a, a double plus for him. Like, it does, it was, yeah. So just hearing yeah. it too, like, yeah, it is it is something. I guess I guess I can see that and relate to that. And yeah, that is something that hopefully, you know, education, hopefully therapy. I mean, I know just the, the brief summary of I was always intrigued of like what what happened to male therapists? You think of Freud, you think of the guy with the beard, not not me with the scruffy beard, but like an actual like you know, your beard, yeah, a nicer beard. Yeah. And uh you think of that guy on the couch, with the Freudian kind of thing, and like what, what happened to to the guys? And there was there was from the specific article but there was a million article things written of it kind of oh, changed yeah. in the 70s and 80s when it went to the hmos and the what you could make and i uh, interviewed a couple yep. of older therapists in my internship that they were making great and they had to get rid of their you know taking insurance because they weren't getting paid half of what they were getting just a couple of years before that they had to go yes. without taking any insurance and, like that's that's bonkers, And that's, that's a situation I that even that I'm in of, I, I couldn't, you know, taking insurance, but just getting to be too hectic, getting to be too much and getting to be, they do so much of pushing the therapist in general, just to, uh, you know, get you done with the least number of sessions as possible. So it's. Yeah. And then move on. Yeah. Agreed. Right. <laughs> yep. Yep. So that's, that is, I, I would love to have, more, more males on education and therapy, and in these you know arts and, and creative societies and, and parts of the parts of the world. And I, I always encourage it. I always like it when I talk to people like you and the people that I mean, are the creators, kind of like that different you know, artistic mindset. That I think you do have to kind of break the mold to kind of think about it, and maybe you you stay at home dad and all these things kind of help utilize that side of your your mind and your brain to kind of want to see what happens to that side.
0: You know, you almost, so for to be a stay-at-home dad when I first started, I had to reinvent myself, right? And that, that took a, a shift within my own head. But once I did it, I got really good at doing it, right? I took ownership of my life. I took ownership of, of my role and my kids. So when it was time, you know, when my old youngest was going, uh, about to go to, to school and I was re-identifying myself again, I was re I was trying to think, what am I? What am I now? Right, that big question that we all ask ourselves. Well, I'd done it once already. I told my wife, "It's like, how many times do I have to reinvent myself for this?" You know, um, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "All right, I'm a writer." You know, but it gets easier. It's like anything; it's practice. It gets easier. The first step is always the one that's hard, but the rest of it's all right.
1: <laughs> yeah, because the more comfortable it becomes more. That's the new normal. Right? Yeah. That's the new. You're creating the new pattern. That's like, all right, this is uh, this is how it's going to be. That's, yeah, I'll make my own normal. That's really what it comes down to. I think something we talked about earlier that just kind of dawned in my head of you know, being present, right? It's a big piece of being a stay-at-home dad. Yes. Being aware. I think that, you know, because I feel like more so generally as a male that you're kind of Always sped up of like, what are you doing next? Where are you going? You know, this this kind of thing. Yes. School, sports, you know, work, you know, overtime, whatever. You had to be doing something else. I always felt that kind of need, and as right being a dad, like things just slow down to a oh, halt. How do I slow my mind to kind of be here being with my kid, being yeah. present? And so, one of the slides I had in my that annual uh, lecture there uh, back at the Stay at Home Dad and Con. I couldn't find the poster, but I had found these posters. It was just one of those days of just being with my firstborn, and uh, it was a picture of a bee and a picture of a present. And I put them both in in both their rooms. So it's it's really amazing to see my six year old is very aware of it, knows what that means. Will sit and can meditate and sit and get in a pose. He's practiced that. He's done that and knows how to you know box breathe and knows how to do all that stuff. Which is you know, and that's helped me too if if I'm in that. State of whatever mind that yeah. shouldn't be in, and I see that poster. It's like, oh, okay. And it's gonna be as simple as small as that to kind of keep that routine, keep that, yeah, you know, that going of like, all right, be present, keep that mindset of today is the only day they're gonna be this age. There's like gonna be a day like today, so just remember. I agree. I think. To
0: that's hard with men, I think, you know, mm-hmm. um, for so long, we've been on the outside of the family parenting world, right? Yeah. Where we've, we've sat and watched and, and that's what society was the value of us. Our value was what we could bring home. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of that, I think we've been robbed of those moments of those present moments, as you say, mm-hmm. um, those lifelong core memories and experiences that we have not had a chance to do because we've been elsewhere. We've been at work, we've been at a job, we've been at something that someone else expected us to do. And, you know, there's a balance that we need to find there between working and then being present for our kids. And not just for them, but I mean for ourselves. Like there's there are moments there that um, I have had that, you know, they're just one and gone. I'll never get them again if I wasn't present. You know, and I think that's what for men... That's one of the shifts I, I I would like us to see, you know, we talk about the mental load of parenting and so mothers typically take most of the mental load of parenting. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're the recipients of labor is what we call it. And they're absolutely right. Um, Fathers take on the majority of what, what I call uh, financial caregiving. It's a term from uh, Dr. Linda Nelson in her book uh, "Myths and Lies About Fatherhood." It's a fantastic book, but it's the recognition that fathers do work a lot outside the home and they miss those moments. So, mm-hmm. how do we balance that? Right? That's the, that's the key. How do we share the mental load? Not because it's so it'll be equal, because you can't reach equal, but you can get you can reach equity. You know, right. where you're playing to people's strengths and each feels valued and each feels. Balance within their own life. And that's a very, very hard thing to get to. Um, Mm -hmm. My wife and I have been together for uh, almost 30 years since 1995, right? So married for 22 of those years this year, but it took conversations, real conversations to get to where we had equity in our marriage. Um, Even with her working and me and staying home, we still, we still divide it up every year. We have a, a new meeting or we read what what I call is basically we rewrite our job descriptions, including mine. And that's Mm -hmm. how we get the equity and what we do.
1: So yeah, it's hard. No, I like that idea. That's, I think that's a a piece that probably should touch on more is, Mm -hmm. you know, being a stay at home dad, it's the kids is obviously the majority, but is kind of redoing, kind of creating a new template of what, a marriage a mm-hmm. relationship what that looks like because yeah uh, i'll be honest with you, the first few years were kind of tough of that mindset as i said yes. I was like wait a minute i still have to be a therapist because the first few months i was not i'll just stay at home i'm like i need to go back doing something for myself because yeah you know i'm just i ended up being that dad that you know every time i did go out with friends was like i want to show pictures of my kids and, like that was yeah. that's still not accepted of like you know just because you're just being that emotional attachment and then Trying to understand all that and run wrap that. And then, yeah, it, it took a while for me and, and my wife of right figuring out not just my own insecurities and my own, you know, what I needed to kind of hear and kind of say to help each other kind of like, all right, I'm still being a part of this. I feel like I'd be a part, but like, yeah, you are doing not just yeah. mom care, but you're still doing lawn care. You're still doing other stuff You're still doing other parts of the house that. No, you know, that, caregivers is genderless. There is no gender right. in caregiving. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think that's. <laughs> one of the things that she brings up or we, we talk about regularly is right of that it's interesting, I guess uh, from her vantage point of like that, you know, there's still things that are just kind of in her mind, at least male and female. I mean, they don't have to be, but it's still like, Mm. well, you, you know, you take care of the the lawn. You still, you know, yeah. Way to put a new doorbell of like, well, you said you can do it. Like, I know. I could probably do it, but it's genderless, but you know, it's just that thing like seems that comfortability, that kind of normalcy for even her, like, it is, you're that, playing to
0: strengths and that, that's something right. you really do. You play to strengths. Right. Um, even with my wife, yeah, I do a lot of more of the physical labor. Um, that because she kills my flower garden when she's out there. I don't like that. <laughs> so I'm like, no, you can't touch my flowers anymore. Um, but I play to her strengths as well. Right? She yeah. handles a lot of the paperwork and the insurance issues. Because, you know, we have kids, we have insurance every way from Sunday. Yep. So she handles a lot of that kind of stuff as well. So we yep. play to her strengths, we play to my strengths. It's just however we define to do that. And I think that's the key, though. We have to talk and communicate right. and redefine what that looks like and right. just do it, whether people judge you for it or not. It's okay. They're going to judge you anyway. So, what are you got there?
1: Right. What do you feel about, I don't know, in the, uh, one of the articles about, about uh, men are not born stoic or emotionally isolated? Like, you know, they kind of like try to teach your kids of how to kind of show those emotions, right? I mean, talking, I feel like, is the product, is the end product. Is. Yeah. Being able to kind of share and show emotions through growth, yeah. like For myself, is like my six year old, I feel like is very good at that. But my four year old, he is, I mean, I think it's more genetic because every time I ask him, I'm like, I don't even ask like how your day is, give me a word, and like, just give me a thumbs up, thumbs down. Basic therapy of like, you don't need to talk, yeah. just tell me. And he's like, nope, I'm not talking until I get home, like, just very, just rough, <laughs> very, just kind of old man ish. I give him his time and give him a space and try to work with him, I'm like, hey, let's do some breathing, let's you know, maybe just. Tough day at the beginning, tough day in the sandbox, you know, we'll do box breathing, but nope, don't want to do that. sit in my room and just kind of doodle or whatever I'm like alright that's fine too yeah. if you're letting it out your own way just just trying to tap him in I'm like no you're, you're letting it out because he's very much into, like nope not talking not saying anything just going upstairs somewhere yeah. like that it is so the article you're talking about there
0: I, I like the line because it's one of my favorite lines I've written yeah. men yeah. are not born stoic they're learned right you're yeah. learned that way and it's about it's about a book uh, from Dr. Flayas is her name Dr. Shelley mm-hmm. Um nurturing boys to become better men right and I like the book a lot because what it really talks about is how to get how to reach our sons uh, emotionally right and help them deal and navigate with their own feelings throughout their own life not just in the beginning but forever right and how do we do that and the first thing she talks about is modeling and you, you're doing it now you're talking to your son you're showing your son how to have to communicate mm-hmm. um, you're not pushing right that's a lot of times that's going to shut people down Um, and that modeling, I think is one of her ideas that I completely believe in. I think it's a great idea. Um, the next thing that she talks about, the one I really, really like, she, she calls it overheard praise that our kids need to hear us praise them to other people. Um, and then they'll be more open with us. And I found that to be very true in the 17 years I've been a dad. Um, and I'm very conscious when I do those things. Um, and then other times she talks about meeting kids where they're at. And that really just means creating a space where you're there together in some sort of activity. Whether you're sitting on the couch or you're playing baseball outside, it doesn't matter. But you have those quiet moments that eventually lead to conversations. And that's how we how we teach our boys um, to express themselves. Because you've got to have a safe person to do that. they got to be able to express themselves without ridicule, without... Um, feeling bad about it. You know, we have to encourage Mm -hmm. those things. They can still be tough. They can still be strong. You can be all the masculine things, but you can also be well adjusted and kind and show empathy. Right. Um, And those things are not seen as masculine. There's been studies about that where empathy is not seen as masculine. And that's disturbing, but that's the truth of what American society has taught us. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're doing it right. Just the, the whole openness and giving them space to actually talk.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's a challenge at times for sure, but it's it's great of mm-hmm. by trying to teach them emotions and that it is okay that right it gives that template that learned behavior and something that I yeah. that I hear a lot from dads in general is you know that, that in between of like well I can't do anything my dad because I have to throw that out because I can't say touch do anything that he did and I don't you know like I don't know how to discipline. And that's why I had to kind of use that reframing in that kind of behavioral aspect of it of, well, you're not disciplining, right? And then they kind of go like, well, I don't want to be their friend either. And and that's where the tricky part becomes of, well, yeah, I think the psychology, like how I hear it in in the sense is like, you are, you revert to like what you know, right? So like being a dad is like this like scary kind of figure almost that like, I can't, you know, get home at five o'clock. Oh, crap. To like well i don't want to be that so what's the other thing i like, know i know how to be a friend i know how to like make a friend and know how to nurture a friendship mm-hmm. and that's where we kind of i feel like some dads fall down that rabbit hole of you know no you're, you're you need to find that new way you need to find that kind of in between of exactly there is an in-between in right and the kind of reframing that of like it's not discipline it's just this is parenting right you're trying to be a parent so and you're always gonna I know my dad's
0: group of, we call it Correcting behavior, right? That's really what it is: is correcting behavior and setting boundaries and expectations. And all of us are going to lose our our temper at one point or another. I think the kids are Mm -hmm. are fantastic about pushing our buttons more than anybody else, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I like to start with positive reinforcement until I have to go negative reinforcement because I think as a a parent, you do have to eventually set hard boundaries with hard consequences it doesn't mean you have to be a jerk about it right? right um you don't have to yell at anybody but you certainly have to have consequences if they ran into the street and you told them no you're right? right and now there needs to be consequence for those kind of things because you don't right. want that bad behavior coming back up later right. now as they get older yes you do that but mm-hmm. i have found that positive reinforcement works better on my teenagers more than anything right um with my teenagers they're discovering the world they're discovering what's going on and it's very easy for them to shut down and shut you out Mm -hmm. um and so if i do positive reinforcement by creating moments where it's comfortable for them and they can eventually talk to me um that has been a better thing that we've been able to guide them through decisions they have coming up It doesn't mean they get off scot-free like you still get in trouble if you don't do your chores right but i do that different i find them now I don't yell at them. I say, all right, you didn't do a chore, you owe 10 bucks. And mm-hmm. I make them pay, you know, that's a thing. Right. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah. um, but now it makes it more personal to them. Yeah. So yeah, it's, being a father's never boring. Every time you think you got it, you have to change up.
1: <laughs> but I find it fascinating, and you're a great example of how I see it of, it's the years of being a parent and kind of instilling those values and emotions and constructs of communication to where when you get to those later teenage years of it still always be apparent you're still doing but now you're like yes positive reinforcement is better now you're starting to create some more avenues of friendship where you have those kind of like we watch a movie in halloween and things that are going to kind of go forward so it's yes it's that shift but it's taken those first 16 and a half to 17 years to get here it took you get there i know right. <laughs> right and then even i was gonna to add too of even when you do make a mistake and i've obviously do or yell or get upset and to be to be honest too I think that's important for kids to see too if I'll go to them like I should not have said that I should have done that I was upset oh I, I need to I need to go do some breathing so I'm going to go upstairs to my room and kind yeah. of show them setting, setting that example of you know understanding too because I feel like that was for me personally more personal thing of like I never saw that I never saw it, like no I should have gone too far like you know I shouldn't have said that I shouldn't have done that in the heat of the moment or whatever kind of thing and i right said too of like you know when you're with someone every day for a long time things are gonna have you know things get you know under the cracks there here and there and that's okay mm-hmm. and letting, allowing them to of like hey there's days where you're just gonna be annoyed and pissed off for whatever reasons going on in your life and that's okay deal with that when that comes yeah that's okay and that's just accepting that too i think that's a big big part of it too if not just always having to be so. if, moving on
0: no and you see that that's the power of that modeling you're showing right there that the power of saying, I'm sorry, that's a really big deal because mm-hmm. the kids need to see it when we when we mess up and they need to see our failures and mistakes and how we deal with them because that is how they're going to deal with them in the future. So if they see us take ownership of our failures and of our mistakes, the hope is they'll do the same when they're older. Now, once you take ownership of those failures and mistakes, you can put corrective action in place to fix it and that's what we really want to get to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when you say, I'm sorry to your kids, this is what I should have done, you're showing not only the vulnerability of it, but you're actually showing how to fix it. And that's the more important part.
1: Yeah, Yeah. no, I think, I think we have touched on a lot of great topics, a lot of great insight and a lot of great writing. And I'd look forward to, to the Atlantic article in a few weeks. And I definitely, hopefully we can uh, continue this conversation as that annual podcast kind of goes into year two next year and keep touch of different articles and different things of I'm sure we'd probably be crossing as that the future kind of oh, entails absolutely. here in, in, the, in the world of dadness and uh yeah um, uh, thank you for your time and i appreciate you coming on and yeah
0: <coughs> thanks uh, thanks for having me i love being here i love talking father and stuff i could literally do this all day so yeah i'm looking forward to the future man
1: <laughs> thank you very much